with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Hi, welcome to your Friday political panel. I'm your host, Rez Krebs. We've got Art Betke and Peter Ewart in the studio, and Trudy Klassen promises she'll be joining soon. She's just having a little bit of transportation difficulty this morning. Um, so, gents, I wanted to start with some... I mean, I... I love Alberta. I love being there. I love move, I love going there. I love eating the beef, but I also love being right next door so that it's like a little bit of a spectacle sometimes. Um, and we talked a bit about Alberta last week and we got to do it again because they've tabled the Sovereignty Act. I guess it's called the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. A um, couple of the details, you know, the idea is that if there's something that the federal government does, anything, it doesn't have to be legislation, anything they do, they'll, they'll pass a motion in the Alberta legislature, and then the cabinet can uh, direct any officer of the crown in the province to disregard the federal, uh, what is it, regulation, legislation, whatever it is, and or can unilaterally amend Alberta legislation. So the cabinet gets the powers to unilaterally amend legislation under this act. It sounds pretty crazy to me. I wonder if you agree. Art, what do you think? I think it's a perfectly natural reaction to the overreach by the federal government. Uh, you, you can't blame them. Uh, it's it's like uh, since about oh, 1970 or thereabouts when uh, senior Trudeau started going after Alberta's oil, uh, oil money that is, uh, it's, it's like they've been beating on them for decades. And uh, I guess they're just getting tired of it. Uh, as far as the, uh, the cabinet uh, having the power to do that, uh, there's nothing, uh, you know, th- this is not uncommon. Uh, it is a power that already exists, according to what I've heard. And um, so it, it's not... Well, it exists in, like, emergency legislation. It doesn't uh, no. exist in your regular old... Uh, apparently, the provinces do have that power, and uh, so, so does the federal government yeah. to do things like that. Um, uh, it's, um, it's something that they have to do, or at least they feel they have to do, to preserve their own rights and freedoms and powers and economy. And they're not alone. Saskatchewan is doing the same thing. So there's two provinces that have just said enough is enough. We're not going to take it anymore. So uh, whatever they're doing, what the act does, it's all within their constitutional powers. So, you know, good on them. Uh, They pass the thing in cabinet or whatever. It becomes law and then they will not... Um, cooperate or enforce the federal law that they are disagreeing with. Um, the Constitution says they can cooperate, they can help each other with their laws, but they are under no obligation to do so, and they don't have to. I'm So I'm not a lawyer, clearly. <laughs> but I did read that, uh, that the... 
directing officers of the crown not to enforce federal legislation was unconstitutional. So I don't, I'm not sure about that. Um, Peter, what do you think? Is this, I mean, I was thinking that this might actually just be more kind of red meat for the base of the UCP in advance of this coming election. Uh, well, yeah, it could be that aspect of things, right? But it's also, it, you know, like these divisions go back a long ways, right? You know, the division between the federal government and the uh, provincial governments, especially Alberta, as uh, Art was uh, talking about there. Uh, I see it as, you know, you know, a fight between different, different, different sections of the, of the establishment of the of the state and and of the oligarchs that are connected to them, whether at the federal level or the provincial level. Um, but um, what uh, what I also notice is it's a d- disturbing trend here, like in terms of uh, the centralization of power and uh, rule by decree. You know, which uh, this uh, legislation, uh, uh, you know, brings out more, right, in the, in the sense of uh, the sweeping powers that are going to be given to the cabinet, right, to, uh, you know, bring in legislation and so on, bypassing the legislature. Uh, you know, but it's not just in Alberta that this is happening. It's ha- it happened with the federal government, with the uh, Emergencies Act, uh, bringing in the Emergencies Act, which... Uh, was uh, you know many people feel was uh, dictatorial and unnecessary, but again, it's a situation where the government bypasses the uh, parliament and just uh, rules by decree. Uh, there's other manifestations of this, right? You know, like you see this uh, uh, in the at the provincial level, like in Ontario, uh, the Doug Ford government uh, is bringing in uh, the strong mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, legislation, which allows that's ma- what it reminded me of, actually. Yeah, which which allows uh, mayors to bypass, or, or sorry, yeah, which allows mayors to bypass council and uh, you know unilaterally push things through, or or, or with with minimum uh, um, contribution of a council. So you have this tendency in government, and it. It's not just in Canada; it's also in the U.S. as, uh, as well. For for more and more power to be uh, concentrated in the hands of uh, a sm- small group of uh, uh, these government officials and, and, and so on, right? And uh, on the other hand, you have a, a a feeling and a demand by many people that they want to have more control over what government does and over what's happening in the economy and so on. So you have these two opposing forces and. Uh, that's the way I see it's playing out in Alberta. It does remind me, uh, last week, Art was uh, kind of making comparisons between China and Trudeau. I mean, it, this seems to be like a trend, actually, this, you know, further furthering the, the ability of governments to unilaterally make decisions. Um, yeah, and I, I also, I mean, the, the whole thing about only needing to be a motion to overturn a whole piece of federal legislation. I don't know if people are aware, like a motion doesn't have to go through any committees, doesn't have mm-hmm. to be, you know, further um, studied by any by any of the other uh, MLAs. It just needs a, a majority vote in the in the House. Trudy, what do you think about this whole uh, the, the Alberta sovereignty with a United Canada Act? 
Within. Within, eh? sorry. Yeah. Well, first I have to comment on what you said about my being late, because it hadn't. You were very generous. Uh, our listeners shall interpret transportation difficulties as Trudy slept in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was made that up actually. I, I know you did. Covering for you. <laughs> I know. I know you tried. I but uh, man, yeah, slept in. Um, you know, I. Uh, both Art and Peter have some really, I, I, like, I agree with both of the, both of their main points. Alberta had to do something. However, ruling by decree is incredibly dangerous, just like Peter was just saying. And, you know, we like, <laughs> I mean, we all should know better, but we like it when there is, um, we, we like ruling by decree when it's in our favor, but we don't like it so much when it's, you know, not. So, um you know, as cumbersome as legislation and as government can sometimes be, I think it's incredible, incredibly important to keep those checks and balances in there, um, because simply because the the reason that we have our parliamentary system is to keep those checks and balances in place, and I think it's really, really important. Now, having said that, I think uh, what you were just saying, Rad, uh, Rez, about um, that this sort of trend towards authoritarian rule, I think, you know, somebody sent me a thing and they were saying, you know, this is a bit of the, we're in the last gasps of the, the like the technology era, like the internet has changed things so that more people have more information, right? And you can find out more stuff and you can hear from more dissenting voices. And this person was arguing that what we're seeing, this push towards more authoritarian rule in, in even democracies is sort of a knee-jerk reaction to that in order to try to maintain their rule. I don't know. Maybe you've thought of that. Hmm. That's a, that's an interesting point. I, I I wonder, I just want to go back to art, actually, because Trudy makes a good point. Okay, we've got this reaction and it, what what you know whether you believe it or not the 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 see, there seems to be some agreement here that um provinces need to be able to push back against the federal government but in in so doing daniel smith has granted you may say that it's uh that it's normal for cabinet to get these kinds of powers i don't know passing a motion should you know it should require a lot more oversight at least committees should be examining these issues right uh, and, and allowing our elected representatives a lot more access to the decision making. That's what a committee is supposed to do. Do you think that they've gone too far in pushing back against the federal government, or do you think this is actually. It's hard to say. Uh, if you put it all before the legislature and argue the pros and cons and get every all kinds of discussion on it it can be tied up for a long time and meanwhile all the laws that they're trying to uh, prevent or the, the, the overreach of the government that they're trying to counter uh, carries on anyway so this is something when they do it it, it doesn't have a whole lot of time available it's uh, one of the things in the act is it uh, severely limits Albertans rights to challenge the use of the act's superpowers in court right 30 days right they only yeah have 30 instead days. of six months so uh, the reason it does that is because all kinds of activists would be tying it up in court for years. This is a common tact of, tactic of uh, all kinds of different activists, political and environmental and so on, to, to bog it down in the courts, uh, which would basically kill it. But so, the courts, I mean, the courts are supposed to be a way to check the government's power, right? Uh, yeah, and but, the, the other thing that, the, that they've said here, they've said that they will not use it to... 
apply to court decisions. They've, they've said that, but in the act itself, there's all sorts of ways that it could be interpreted otherwise. Yeah, well, the Supreme Court uh, has actually uh, never endorsed the, that uh, one government can require another one to uh, enforce their laws. Um, they have actually, there are decisions where the court says there's no positive obligation on a province or the federal government to cooperate with the other. Uh, and uh, what one legal opinion says is what would be illegal is if Alberta was somehow compelled to enforce federal laws. Now, you, you said that um, it, it uh, overturns federal legislation. It doesn't. It just doesn't let it apply to Alberta. The federal legislation is still in effect for the whole rest of the country. And uh, as far as checks and balances go, this act is a check and balance against the federal government's overreach. That's true. Yeah, so, yeah I was thinking There's about a lot that. of different ways to look at this. Yeah. You, you, well, uh, yes, I was thinking that, that that's one argument for it, is that it is a check and balance against the federal government's, but, but it's, I'm still concerned about... Don't we already have checks and balances based on, one, I mean, the electoral system itself, and two... The courts. The courts are supposed to be a check and balance, right? So if things are actually going are unconstitutional, you can challenge them in the courts. Again, it would take uh, so long to put, run it through the courts. But that's that the whole point, just, isn't it? Expediency no, that, is not the is not no, is no, the enemy no, of no. democracy, man. No, no. I, I I just don't see you know like the sovereignty act and all this uh, going towards empowering the people of Alberta. Uh, and I think that's a, a generalized problem, even at the federal level, right, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, looking at the, the current system that we have, you know, which uh, gives all kinds of power to uh, parliaments and legislatures and cabinets and so on, but leaves uh, people out in the cold. And I think that uh, uh, more and more what, you know, is coming on the agenda is a need for uh, fundamental electoral uh, reform and renewal that would empower people more, make it so because you look at the situation, it's a it's a dogfight between the uh, the uh, Smith government, the Alberta government, and the and the federal government. But uh, people are left out in the cold in these situations. Yep. There isn't mechanisms for people to participate and actually uh, uh, have some power over what government is doing. So I think that's an aspect that doesn't get emphasized enough. Trudy seems to agree with that. What about you, Art? Do you think that the people need to be more involved in these kinds of decisions? I think uh, the federal government has been leaving people out of all kinds of decisions for a long time. What about the provincial governments? Uh, uh, to a point, yeah. But I think the federal government is, has been doing the most of that. They, they've been just overreaching. They've been bringing in things like the ridiculous gun laws that served no purpose except to appease paranoid urban dwellers who <laughs> don't own guns. Yeah. Uh, and they penalize legal gun owners. They do nothing to uh, to uh, affect uh, the people who are committing crimes with guns. Well, we do have to take a short break, but we may have a little more to say on the... Let me just get this right. Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. 
Hey world, this is Michael Franti. This is Kanan. Oh, oh, in the dark. Gogo Bordello. Hi, I'm Natasha Atlas. Greetings, this is Tanya Stevens. Justin Adams. This is Steve Riley of the Mamu Playboys. Talvin Singh, you're listening to Free Range Radio. Steve Berlin, Cesar Rosas. We're from Los Lobos, and you've discovered music with no borders and no boundaries. This is Cal Coat. The best artists in the world come home to World Beat Canada Radio. Join me each week for a ride on the global side. World Beat Canada Radio, Monday nights at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles. Tuesday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturday from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall, now open Tuesday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. Forecast from Environment Canada. Snow ending this afternoon, then cloudy, wind up to 15K. A high of minus 17 with a wind chill to minus 23 and a risk of frostbite. Clearing tonight, more wind, a low of minus 24 with a wind chill to minus 31 and a risk of frostbite. Sunday on Saturday, a high of minus 17. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So that's, that was an interesting conversation. I do want to shift gears actually to something a little more closer, closer to home, closer to my heart, as everyone knows. Um, the Citizen has published a series of really interesting articles based on freedom of information requests to the city regarding the uh, demolition of the, of parts of the Moccasin Flats encampment last November. Um, there are three articles there. They're mostly just texts of emails that went back and forth between various city staff, the head of bylaw services, the communications uh, officer, head of public safety, um, city manager, etc. Right? Um, some of the some of the interesting pieces were, you know, I, I, just to fast forward a little bit. We all know that they demolished uh, parts of the camp. Um, they believed, according to these emails, that the people who were living in the tents that they demolished had, had been the ones that um, were given housing. However, it came out later that people who did not have housing were also living in those tents, and the people who were given that housing did not know their places were being demolished, and so had left various pieces of important um, personal property there, including, in one case, uh, uh, an urn containing... Uh, someone's ashes, a, a loved one's ashes. Um, I just, I found it so interesting getting a, a window into the communications between the various city uh, officials. And although we didn't, I didn't see any of the lo- legal correspondence that's probably for a, a legal reason, um, they claimed that the, their lawyer had given them the advice that they could go ahead and do this, even though the camp itself had been protected by a court order and then later Justice Covell, I think in February or something, said that actually the destruction had been against that court order. I I, I don't know. The, I guess the question here is: Should heads roll? Was this was this like 
a good faith attempt at cleaning something up, um, are we gonna are we gonna see people actually start losing their jobs in the new year? I understand they won't actually fire people before Christmas, which is probably a good thing. Peter, what do you think about this whole? Uh, well, thing? you know, one thing is clear: the the city handled the issue uh, very badly, uh, and you know, from a whole number of fronts, right? You know, in terms of the legal front and uh, and other fronts, and uh, you know, people. Uh, you know, ask like, why is it necessary to? Uh, you know, I think the the citizen editorial by Neil Godbu asked about uh, the question of, uh, of, you know, why does it take a freedom of information uh, request to to get this information? Um, but um, yeah, like the uh, in terms of uh, what's what should happen, what should be the repercussions and all that. I, you know, I don't have anything to say on that other than the fact that it has to be looked at and investigated. Uh, uh, thoroughly, so that it doesn't happen again uh, in, in this way, you know, because you have a situation where you have a court order, and uh, uh, from some of the emails there, it looks very much like they're flirting with violating the, the, the court order. And uh, you know, the, when you when you have government getting into that, you know, violating court orders and and so on, uh, you have a, you have a problem, right, in terms of uh, what's to be done. I, I think I think what's important is that. Uh, you know, the, one one thing is clear: this whole thing could have been handled better, right? There's ways in which to handle it. It should have involved uh, some of the uh, agencies that are uh, involved with the homeless issue. How about the lawyer that was representing those people, right? Like they were, she wasn't even advised that this was going to be happening, and she showed up yeah. on that day and was labeled a professional protester, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, just using that label professional protester was, you know, anyway, quite insulting, right, in terms of, you know, like, uh, I wouldn't say accurate, right, in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, you know, people, you know, people who come out and, and, protest or get involved in some way or another, I, you know, I, I think that's a positive sort of thing, right? Professional pro- protester, that's, uh, you hear that term, it's often used by the people who are in, have the power, right, uh, against those who are protesting against, uh, you know, that power. So, we're at, Trudy's up next on the, on the firing line here. Uh, are you going to give us a no comment, no. Councillor Trudy Clausen? <laughs> Councillor <laughs> Councillor Trudy Clausen is now the, um, on behalf of the residents of Prince George, I'm now the employer of said staff. So therefore, you shall never hear from my lips in my role, uh, ever hear me criticize our staff because that you just don't do that, right? You, I'm, I mean, and because council is responsible for what happens, and so. Uh, I'll comment on. Uh, Already like, sounding like a politician. I know, I know. Well, but but you really wouldn't want me want to hear me criticize my staff, right? Because that's just not kosher. Yeah, that's and, bad management. And and it's. Um, I think what happened like way back um, under the previous council is there was a miscalculation about and just an, a lack of. Um, I think what's happened is there's been a massive shift in. But it, but it's not, it didn't happen suddenly. Like the, we are sitting at the end of years of accumulation of neglect of mental health and housing and 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 um, all of those issues, right? And uh, and I think that's what's happened. Um, and and just societal trends. There's all kinds of factors feeding into this. And I think there was an underestimation about um, what the public knew about the situation. And there was an un, they, I I don't think that there was a a suitable awareness of what the businesses were suffering. And so I think it was just maybe not enough 
um, fingers on the pulse there. And, and so I think that's that's why staff didn't have direction that was maybe that would have been good to have. I mean, we've talked about that on this show plenty of times from before you were counselor, a counselor that those folks they're, they're like this. Clearly, there was no consultation with the people affected, even though they claimed there was uh, no consultation with people advocating on behalf or representing them legally. So, I mean, this is this is not just that the lack of consultation. And I, I just wonder. Is that going to get turned around, or are they going to keep keep working in their little bubble? Well, we have a new mayor and a new council, and I think I'm hopeful that we will see. Um, um, I, I'm hopeful that we will see a shift and in in how we deal with the most vulnerable. All right, Art. There's nothing clamping your lips shut, so let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, from when I. Read from what I've been able to understand, the people who did this uh, thought it was necessary. Uh, this uh, is a growing problem in a lot of different cities all over uh, Canada and the United States, and uh, it seems to me they were trying to nip this in the bud before it got out of hand, and they did not think they were doing anything wrong. Um, now it's, it seems that you know they were a bit negligent. They did not use due care and attention, and uh, did not consult with the residents. But consulting with the residents wouldn't have helped because they'd say, "No, I want to stay here." All of them. Um, so, uh, I, I I can understand their point of view, and I don't think anybody should be fired for that. Um, but the, the the thing is that. Because of the the court order, which they didn't think they were breaching, I thought they thought they were. Their, in their lawyer told them they weren't breaching, right? Yeah, so they weren't intentionally doing anything wrong, and there is that uh, requirement of intent for any criminal or wrongdoing. Uh, no, you can have negligence, right? Yeah, well, yeah, well, I've already mentioned that, right? But um, now, somebody asked me one time, you know. Why not just let them camp there? If they want to camp there, leave them there. And, yeah, we can't get rid of it. It's going to stay. So what I think they should be doing is, like, designating Moccasin Flats as the homeless camping area. Don't let them camp all over the city. I, I think it would be entirely within the court mm-hmm. order to... If if they you know like when they started camping this summer down at the Cenotaph there mm-hmm. what is it Dominion and First they could have moved yeah, the them right I, there, I, when I saw there was just two tents now it's just packed you know yeah there was a fire there recently by Jowl yeah. And, yeah but at that time they should have had them move to uh, Moccasin Flats you say here is where you're allowed to camp. That's in the spirit of the court order for after the initial injunction request, actually, because they did close down one of the camps, and and the, the judge said, you know, consolidation to yeah. to the one. We do it. We have to take a short break, but let's continue this conversation after these messages. If you're a student in grades three to twelve who needs a hand with math or English. The Prince George Public Library's Homework Help program is for you. Homework Help runs Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays from 4.30 to 7.30 at the Bob Harkins branch. However, you do have to set up an appointment. To get in on Homework Help, call Chris at 250-563-9251, extension 105. Homework Help, Tuesdays through Thursdays at the Prince George Public Library. 
Your Prince George Symphony Orchestra's main stage season has plenty to offer for everyone. Check out Beethoven's 6th on February 4th. Local singer-songwriters Amy Blanding, Rochelle Van Zanten, and Kim Gucci in concert with the orchestra on April 15th, and guest Henry Shepard on cello May 27th. Tickets and full details are available at pgso.com and from the symphony's office at Studio 2880. Your Prince George Symphony Orchestra's main stage season through May 27th at Vanier Hall. The Prince George RCMP is investigating an early morning robbery that took place at approximately 2.30 a.m. on Saturday, November 19th. The victim says he was attacked from behind near Aspica Boulevard and Reed Crescent. Surveillance from a nearby home shows two individuals getting out of a dark-colored, newer model Chevrolet pickup just before the incident. If you have any information which may be of help in this investigation, please call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. The Spruce City Lions Club has a Recycle for Sight collection box at the Seniors Resource Centre. Drop off no longer used prescription and non-prescription glasses, sunglasses and readers, even if they're broken. Donated glasses will be cleaned, categorized by prescription and prepared for distribution to people in developing countries. Used hearing aids are also being accepted. The Spruce City Lions Club Recycle for Sight collection box in the Seniors Resource Centre at the corner of 7th and Victoria. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Peter, you wanted to jump in on the issue of this, uh, the encampment cleanup and the whole Freedom of Information Act uh, request there? Well, what I think, what I hope comes out of it is, uh, you know, we have at this time, you know, this new premier, uh, EB, right, who is focusing on the homeless issue uh, province-wide. I think this is a time you know, for uh, Prince George, for the city of Prince George, as well as the agencies that are involved with the homeless, uh, you know, the various uh, various agencies and all this, to have a, to have a common front in terms of, uh, you know, going to the provincial government, because the provincial government is, is saying that this is a priority for it. Well, it's what we need is a common front here to actually bring forward solutions uh, to uh, the, the homeless issue, that uh, which is a very serious uh, issue for the homeless people here, as well as for the businesses and so on, right? So uh, th- that's what I'm hoping comes out of it is that the, the, there's a more of a unified uh, common front to, to to make very definite demands of uh, or requests of the provincial government to uh, de- to bring some measures in here that that help solve out solve this problem. In the meantime, I mean, do we support, uh, Art was mentioning that maybe we should actually make a designated camping place. One of the things that I find difficult right now is that there are no warming centers open in the city. I thought there was. Amanika will open one on Sunday. It'll be the first one. I thought there already was one, and this will be the second one, so. That's the, I mean, this is what I've heard, that there isn't one open right now. And, and so we have, we have so many, like, you know, intersecting issues here, availability of housing, cost of housing, uh, the opioid crisis, right, uh, residential school trauma, etc. But, I mean, one way of of al- at least allowing people who clearly want to camp to camp is to make the space available and then provide them with some services there. I, I think, um, don't you remember there was a motion or that, no, there was a staff recommended in, when was it, July or something? June to make that, some designated places. Yeah, and that was not voted. That was voted down. Yeah, yeah. I, they, I don't know if they were talking about services. I mean, the, it, it's so it's so interesting to me after after they 
uh, did the demolition, then they wouldn't clean up the mess they made, right? So it was actually volunteers and vol- um, donated uh, dumpsters that came in to actually make the cleanup because then they claimed, oh, well, we weren't allowed to bulldoze this. Now we're not allowed to clean it up. So it's it's this kind of, um, I just find it a bit bad faith. Uh, that at what point will will the staff at the city start cooperating with people who are trying to to change how things work here that's my question i guess i mean it's that's that's a common problem like you know you've got that that is why like in my mind i mean i'm sort of like politically i'm very my 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 feeling is very libertarian so that's very opposite of where i th- i think we're like where some people sit who are concerned about the situation um and so i think it's vital that our that and and I'm, and I think it's vital that our that our governmental systems work with with the with the people, the nonprofits, the organizations um, involved and concerned, uh, because I think they do a better job of of dealing with stuff, right? Because no one ever stands up. Like, let's say a kid is in foster care. You, I don't think I, I've ever heard of any child standing up in foster care and saying thank you so much to my uh, social uh, social worker for getting me here right they they talk they might talk about their foster parents they might talk about an auntie who still maintained in touch or they might talk about a teacher but they won't be talking about a social worker normally right sometimes to foster kids a social worker is an enemy yeah what about this idea of of protecting it and turning it into a into the camp i mean where where people are allowed to go didn't i mention that yeah yeah nothing more to say well, I think they should, I, and it, you can have a designated area with boundaries. Within these boundaries, you may camp. Now, I think they should put some support services in there, like uh, people camping out there. They're not prepared for winter. I mean, how can you be when you're camping like that? Uh, so, you know, having a warming shed would be great, and if it was me, I'd never be out of the warming shed. I'd set up <laughs> my bunk in there. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and and some kind of bathroom facility. Yeah. Uh, the the fact is, uh, we're not going to be able to clean it up and get rid of it. I think that was the intent at the time, was to somehow get rid of this problem once and for all, and it it's not going to happen. So if you can control it, contain it, and you know, make it more amenable, so uh, there's less damage to the rest of the city. I think that's something this city should be looking at. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, just to reiterate the point I was making there, you know, where the power is is when, uh, you know, people in a community like Prince George get together and, mm-hmm. and, and make uh, common requests. Uh, you know, it's sort of like with what happened with the Northern Health Program. You know, like when it was brought to Prince George, right, uh, where you had uh, uh, the the entire city behind that request there when it became a request that could not be refused, right? And uh, so I think that that's important when we come out of this whole thing here 
uh, is looking at that. Uh, how how can it be that we can have this the city the the uh, nonprofit organizations, indigenous organizations, and so on, having some common requests, right, and and pushing for them, right, and the, the, aiming for well, like whether it's a, a question like of what Art is talking about in terms of making the the uh, encampment perm- permanent or more or something else or whatever but the the common position uh, needs that common front to give it power with the provincial government yeah it's interesting we also need to get then get together and start talking about it together yeah. right? i mean that yeah. that that speaks to the importance of kind of some civic discussions here because so much of that is kind of mediated through city hall we were talking in, during the break of the uh, role that bc housing played in this the thing that i found really interesting was um so bc housing they've they, i will say they've been speaking out of both sides of their mouth because i've been in meetings uh through my work where they kind of pushed back away from the role that they played here but clearly they had some authorization to the city to do this and the only social service provider that was involved was awac and it's an open secret, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's not even a secret that the head of AWAC and the head of BC Housing here had, uh, you know, an intimate relationship. So, I mean, those kinds of things are just make me really concerned about about transparency and accountability in those in with, with those organizations. If if that's if 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 you're only going to be involving the the local service provision organizations that you somehow have like maybe are literally in bed with that's a problem man no comments on that <laughs> yeah i guess it's time for a break creative space sunday is continuing at two rivers gallery sundays from one to four drop in for an artful afternoon and let your creativity soar each week has a new activity come by yourself with your family or with friends and join in the fun it's free for gallery members 750 for adult non-members creative space sunday will be off for christmas day and new year's day creative space sunday join in the fun at two rivers gallery where creativity flows in canada games plaza whether you're downloading ebooks or need a hand with microsoft office programs tech help is available at the downtown branch of the prince george public library get the most out of your computer tablet or other digital device by taking advantage of this free program offered wednesdays from two to four book a 30-minute appointment by calling 250-563-9251 extension 120 between 2 and 4. Tech help at the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library. With three high-profile events coming to Prince George the next two years, Caledonia Nordic Ski Club is busy recruiting volunteers. The 2023 Nordique Canada Selection Trials and Nordique Cup is January 18th to 21st, with 150 to 200 volunteers needed to run this national event. Volunteers for various positions both on and off the field of play are available. To help out, contact Volunteer Coordinator Vonda Hofford by emailing volunteer underscore competitions at caledonianordic.com. Forecast from Environment Canada, snow ending this afternoon, then cloudy, wind at the 15K, a high of minus 17 with a wind chill to minus 23 and a risk of frostbite. Clearing tonight, more wind, a low of minus 24 with a wind chill to minus 31 and a risk of frostbite. Sunday on Saturday, a high of minus 17. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. We want to move on to another uh, interesting piece of news here in the city uh lambda nightclub which i mean for a while it was the only nightclub left downtown unfortunately um 
they were kind of in a running battle with Northern Health over uh, protesting public health orders uh, in order, in, including requiring people to have a vaccine passport to enter, um, use of masks, or or being open during the time when everything else was shut down. Um, they had ac- accumulated three thousand dollars in fines related to operating during COVID here, um, and the. They, they got a really smart lawyer, I guess, who came in and, and convinced the judge to toss all those fines. Um, it's, it was a really interesting uh, piece of information here where the, the lawyer argued that the public health orders and specifically how they were being enacted or, I guess, um, enforced by Northern Health. I didn't know, I didn't know Northern Health actually had the, the ability to issue fines, but apparently they do, was against the Canadian Human Rights Code. Uh, what do we think here? I mean, my, my main question is, well, where does this leave the government if they're supposed to be able to enact a public health provision? But it's also, you know, maybe kind of a little more libertarian re, uh, response from a judge who I would not ex- have expected. Trudy, what's your, what's your thought here? <laughs> um, uh, do, do you know, Rez, when they started defying the public health order? It seemed to be right before. It was like 10 days before... The it actually was dropped, like, right? Yeah. So because that will affect how I respond, um, because that was my understanding as well. And I think, I, I think this was an example of an individual willing to take the risk to push the envelope a little bit on on um, on on those orders, right? And just saying, okay, you know what? We've been patient. We've we've tried as best we could to to be. Uh, to go with the orders, we, we're suffering. We we cannot pay bills anymore. We think that the science has changed enough that we know that, um, or what is known about the virus, because everybody like those first three months. I mean, it took us a, a while to get a handle on how contagious is this, how deadly, etc. Um, and I think that what they were trying to do is is quite likely trying to push the envelope a little bit. Yeah, and they actually succeeded. Art, what do you think about this ruling? Yeah, I think she was doing a bit more than that. Um, like, it was basically at the same time as the truckers' protest, was it not? It was and around, yeah, it was yeah, around I that think it time, seems right? to me it was the same time, and I had the impression, I don't know if she said it, or, but I had the impression that uh, she was inspired by the truckers and the Coots blockade in Alberta, and uh, the, the whole... Uh, idea behind the truckers was there's no need for these mandates it's overkill uh, we're beyond that they should be relaxed and and I think she had the same idea about the, the shutdown for nightclubs and uh, it seemed to me that she thought I, I don't recall exactly what she I think she was trying to inspire a, a revolt on all the nightclub owners in BC against all this and if they all would open up and rise up against the government the government would back down so uh you know i i can applaud her for that uh boy you're taking quite a risk there you know and I, i'm surprised that her fines were only three thousand dollars actually i thought they'd be a lot more than that uh i'm not surprised that it was thrown out uh similar fines in alberta and ontario are being thrown out so I guess it was a bit of overreach by the government and uh, overreaction to the people, especially in Alberta and Ontario, to the people who uh, defied the lockdowns. 
mainly churches and so on. And we'll just, uh, I just want to mention the, the owner of the nightclub's name is Linda Allen here. That's, that's who Art's referring to. Uh, Peter, what did you think about this ruling? Uh, well, you know, it's a question of the uh, individual rights, you know, versus uh, collective rights. And, uh, you know, ideally the, the, the thing is to harmonize uh, individual rights with collective rights. But the, there's a, been a disharmony here in various ways. We saw it during the pandemic. Uh, you know, because, you know, this issue goes back a long time, you know, you know like, a, for example, a hundred years ago, you had the case of uh, typhoid Mary, uh, who was a cook who uh, was a carrier of typhoid disease. And, uh, uh, you know, the, she was eventually uh, detained for a long period of time, right, because uh, she refused to uh, sort of uh, adhere to uh, regulations, right? So there was a whole legal thing about that at that time there, right? So, you know, the question comes up, like, you know, when we look at, uh, like, if COVID-19, one of the questions that comes up, if COVID-19, like, say it had a 50 or 60 or 70 percent mortality rate, like some viruses have, uh, you know, does it still mean that individuals can do what they want, <laughs> right, uh, when you have that kind of mortality? Or uh, whatever the case, you know, also the, you know, the, the whole problem with um, the way that uh, a lot of small businesses and, and, and larger businesses, you know, lost a lot of money out of this whole thing, right? You know, so there's, there's clashing things that are, t- are taking place here. And but fatigue, I, I mean, fatigue after yeah. so many, um, uh, at that point it was a year of not being able to go out, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. And so uh, there's all, there was all kinds of problems there. But what I think is really crucial is that there be a summing up of the experience of COVID, right? You know, in terms of uh, uh, looking at uh, you know what kinds of restrictions are uh, are are what's called for during the situation, what kind of regulations should be in place, what kind of rights should uh, you know, the, the, for example, the businesses and and individuals have. Uh, so there's there's a crying need for that to be uh, uh, summed up and and possibly having the legislation changed to avoid these kinds of uh, conflicts, right, get people on the same page in terms of what should be done in terms of uh, dealing with these kinds of uh, epidemics. I think you're absolutely right, Peter, about there needing to be some sort of summing up, but I think we can begin with knowing that most of the pandemic relief money that was issued by the federal government and has ended up in the hands of the richest people. And small and medium-sized businesses, small and medium uh, enterprises, mom-and-pop shops are the ones that suffered the most. And uh, I think that's that's where we can start. And I yeah. think they were just were fighting against that. It's it's I. You're so right, and I I've seen. You know, through kind of being a, a close um, watcher of of government and government contracts, not always in the richest, but just like potentially ineffective use of of funds. Um, the desire to like to be able to support organizations through covid has often i think resulted in putting resources into organizations who don't know how to use them yep and they end up like look at air Air canada what they did with theirs right i mean they laid off workers and everybody got big bonuses it's like no come on that was a pretty common narrative and all the members of parliament had what three raises during the last two years You know, they voted themselves all kinds of money. It's, it's stressful just, having to, you know, you take Zoom calls from oh. the bathroom. and Yeah, those poor people, yeah. And their expense <laughs> accounts didn't go down either. Yeah. But, you know, some of the measures were ridiculous. Um, I sell 
my wood turnings at the farmer's market. And the order came down from Bonnie Henry uh, that I wasn't allowed to do that. The farmer's market was still open. You could buy food there. You couldn't buy a wooden bowl there. You could buy a wooden bowl at any other store in B.C., just not at farmer's markets. Made no sense. (laughs) I'm I'm just happy that I don't need that to make a living. It's just a hobby. But, you know, for people who uh, did need that kind of sales to make a living, that's discriminatory. It's wrong, and it serves no real purpose. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break, and we'll work out on our our, uh, plus-minus delta on the COVID uh, during that break, I guess. Create your own GIF with Christina Watts Tuesday evening from 6 to 8. Have fun creating an animated GIF to use with a wide variety of applications. It's a great way to wow your friends and family and add some personality to your messages. Registration and full details are available through the Arts North link at studio2880.com. Create your own GIF with Christina Watts Tuesday evening from 6 to 8 at Studio 2880, 2880 15th Avenue. The Prince George RCMP are reminding everyone to drive safe and sober this holiday season. If you're going to be drinking alcohol or consuming other intoxicating substances, you need to find an alternative way home. The safety of everyone on the road depends on drivers making safe and sober choices. There are several options in Prince George if you find yourself needing an alternative ride home, such as Operation Red Nose. Check out the Operation Red Nose website for more details at ornpg.ca. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council is accepting nominations for the 2022 Premier's Awards for Indigenous Youth Excellence in Sport. The Premier's Awards honors and uplifts Indigenous youth athletes who have achieved excellence in performance sport and are regarded for their leadership qualities both on and off the field of play. Full details are available and nominations can be made through ispark.ca. The 2022 Premier's Awards for Indigenous Youth Excellence in Sport. Nomination deadline is Friday, December 16th. The Prince George Potter's Guild is offering a beginner wheel level one course starting December 7th. The program will run Wednesday and Fridays until December 16th from 6.30 to 9.30 under the instruction of Karen Heathman. The $200 course fee includes four evenings of instruction plus one month of studio time after classes, clay, and the use of the guild's tools and glazing and firing during classes. Students are asked to be able to throw a cylinder before taking wheel level two. For more information and to register, go to studio2880.com slash programs. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So earlier in November, there was uh, news that came out from Global TV that CSIS had briefed the, uh, I'm not sure if it's the whole House of Commons or the uh, Security Committee or just just, uh, Trudeau, that at least 11 federal candidates in the 2019 election were funded by China to the tune of about a million dollars through this Communist Party uh, organ called the United Front Work Department. Um, it's been really interesting watching Trudeau flip-flop on this. Uh, yes, uh, you know, his first response was, yes, China is a threat to our democracy. Then his response was, I have not heard about this so-called Chinese threat to democracy. I do not, or it was a very carefully worded statement, which was, I, I, I'm always very interested when words get careful. Um you know, my question is, one, clearly there's something going on here. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that there is, uh, that, that there are foreign, specifically Chinese actors in Canada working. We've seen this coming out in very, various ways, whether they're only interested in controlling Chinese nationals or interested in controlling Canada. But then Trudeau flip-flopping is he caught between this international 
requirements to appease Xi uh, and domestic politics, or are these 11 candidates all liberals? I mean, that's my question. Art? Do we know? We don't no. know. No, uh, we don't know who they from were. From what I heard in initial reports, some of the, a couple of the candidates were conservatives, so it's hard to say. Okay. Uh, we really don't know what's going on. Uh, Trudeau, you know, he has said, and I'll say it again, that he admires China for its dictatorship, so I guess he doesn't know which way to turn here, you know. Does he like them or does he not? Um, uh, he's bouncing around. Uh, as far as China itself goes, well, I don't trust them. Um, I knew, I know they are uh, becoming increasingly active in, in all over the world. Um, in Africa, they are uh, investing in uh, um, uh, natural resources to get the raw materials that they need for their own industries. And they're helping the Africans. They go in there, they build railroads, they build... Uh, Ports. They build all kinds hospitals, of airports and yep. hospitals and things like that in return, and they don't take ownership of them. They they, they leave give them to the African countries where they are, and in turn they get to take out the resources. Um, but at the same time, they can be a little bit predatory. I read somewhere that uh, in Sri Lanka they financed the building of a major seaport and. Uh, when Sri Lanka couldn't make the payments, they took ownership of it. So now they own that part. So uh, you just never know. You don't want to trust them too far. So uh, what's going on? I don't know. Peter, what do you think with uh, Justin Trudeau flip-flopping all over the place on this? Well, it's, 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 Trudeau is, yeah, he's flip-flopping and uh, the, denies that he was informed and so on, right? Uh, but also it's interesting, the Ford government, which, uh, you know, this news story about uh, you know the ch- so-called Chinese spies and all that was uh, that there was a uh, Ontario MPP involved and so right. on but uh, the, money. The, the, the Ford government says that uh, it was not informed either and so uh, what you have is uh, news stories with unnamed sources uh, you know making all kinds of uh, allegations no documentation uh, whatsoever right and uh, what I would do on that thing, I, I, I don't know, I'm very cautious on this whole thing because I look back to 2010 when the same thing happened then when Richard Fadden, who is the head of the Canadian Securities Intelligence Service, made the claim that uh, there was all kinds of Chinese spies, right, in the provincial governments and municipal governments and all this, right? But he was called out on it, right, and said, okay, well, yeah, show us, show us the evidence. And he did, did not or could not show, show the evidence for it. And so there was a, a House committee of Parliament, uh, I actually got the report right here, that uh, came out and said uh, its conclusion was, the alleg- I'll, I'll quote, the, the allegation made by the director of CSIS tarnished the reputation of politicians and of the Chinese-Canadian community. The committee maintains that, that Mr. Fadden created a climate of suspicion in regards to Canada's politicians, political class, and planted doubt about the integrity of elected officials and the Chinese-Canadian communities. And, and so uh, you, you have that, and, and then it blew over, right? But uh, at that time, there, there was all this uproar, and, uh, you know, the, the, there was spies, right? And, uh, and uh, some of the alleg- allegation clearly was pointing to British Columbia, and uh, that the, the there were uh, sp- ministers who were spies for China and all this, but it, nothing ever came of it, right? It, you know, there was no evidence. Uh, the, this parliamentary committee 
uh, strongly criticized uh, CSIS for doing that, right? So what's happening now is uh, it's, it's, it's similar in some ways, right? You know, in the sense that there's nothing hard there, right? You know, so what kind of game is going on here? Like, uh, we know that uh, the intelligence services... Uh, uh, anyway, often get into the political game. Look at United States here in terms of how the FBI and so on are involved in the political situation there. So we, yeah. have, to be, we have to be really careful that we don't jump on things, especially uh, you know we're looking at the geopolitical situation right now. Like, well, of course, there are those who uh, anyway uh, there, there are those who want to um, you know kind of. Uh, Cool. Foment war with China. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is true. Do you think? I mean, where is the balance of uh, of likelihood here? Ooh, likelihood. Oh, I think it's. I think uh, it's entirely likely, and I think we have to acknowledge that. Uh, I mean, if we were a bigger power, we would be doing the same. Uh, in other countries, <laughs> and uh, because we certainly know the U- United States does, um, but I think at the end of the day, Canada is a sovereign nation, and our prime minister and our heads of government are sworn to preserve and protect Canada, or and and so that is like so anything that we do has to be done in our best interest, and I think in our best best interest is to pull back a little bit from the sort of the pro-China trade. Idea that we had in the when it was when was it in the eighties nineties nineties okay like, that was trade will equal democracy yes yeah. and I think we have to get a little bit smarter about it and uh, more nuanced and and still maintain our sovereignty and trade yeah it's I mean one one point that I'm super interested in is okay Lucky says that it's you know Brenda Lucky RCMP commissioner says that there is an investigation ongoing but will not produce the documentation for the investigation and. So Art's saying that there were conservatives involved. I'm just feeling a little like my conser- my, my conspiracy theory uh, kind of inclination is starting here with, uh, well, Brenda Lucky has, has protected the prime minister in the past. <laughs> is she doing it again? Well, yeah, there is that too. But, you know, when they're doing an investigation, you don't want to have it all out on the table for everybody. It's true. Um, and I guess everyone's got to be... Uh, innocent until proven guilty that's our show this week thanks everyone for coming in and i hope you have a warm and safe weekend after nine is a weekday presentation of cfis fm after nine is produced by alan wishart eric allen kylie lewis holt trudy clausen and rez krebs executive producer is reg fair with technical assistance from stephen smith theme music is by the ebbs For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to 93.1 CFISFM, Prince George, proudly partnered with local community groups like the Railway and Forestry Museum on River Road next to Cottonwood Island Park.